Did you know that if you are still in your sins, your sins follow you all the way to judgment day? But some people, their sins are so bad, their sins get there ahead of them. But did you know that if you're in the Lord, it's not your sins that follow you to judgment day, it's your good deeds, your good works. The Bible says both these things and I'm going to show you. Here is Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 24 and 25. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, it's your deeds, your good works that follow you. Here's Revelation 14. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, John wrote, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Should cause one to pause for thought. And it's no wonder that Hebrews 11 says of the heroes of the faith, that even when they were being tortured, they refused to be released because they had a better resurrection. They wanted a better resurrection. You think, well, how does all this tie into salvation by faith? If good deeds or the way you live after you've been born again is a critical part of the whole thing. Well, we're going to consider that today. Here's, um, here's what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, so whether we are at home or away. Now he's talking about being in the body or gone to be with the Lord. Whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. So you're saved by faith, not by works. And yet somehow the Bible has a great deal to say about works. What is the difference? Well, I'm hoping to explain that today and give everyone pause to think. Uh, here's Paul again in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here in one mouthful, it's saying it's not works and it's saying it's works. And you've got to learn the difference. What is the difference? Well, we take a look at it. Do you remember we spoke a few weeks ago about the sheep and goats judgment? <laughs> Several times, I think. But uh, two common errors are made when interpreting. Remember Jesus said to one crowd, the crowd he called the sheep. Because you've done all these things to me, you fed me when I was hungry, you visited me when I was sick, um, you know, enter into the joy of your Lord, enter into the kingdom prepared for you. 
to the others, he, to those he called the goats, he said, you did not do these things for me. They, they, you know, the righteous said, Lord, when did we do it for you? The, the others said, Lord, when did we not do it for you? And he said, um, inasmuch as you have done it unto even the least of these brothers of mine. So uh, two common errors are made, and one is where people interpret the story Jesus tells in terms of the way you treat everybody in the whole world. And the other error is, that, that's common enough, the way you treat natural Israel or Jewish people. Some people like to interpret you know, these brothers of mine as being Jews. Both are errors. Jesus himself defined in the gospel who his brothers are, whoever does the will of God. Jew or gentle, whoever does the will of God. In other words, whoever's in the kingdom of God, whoever's surrendered to God the Father, he's my brother. And uh, that's what he had to say to Paul on the Damascus Road. You remember? Paul, why are you persecuting me? But Paul was persecuting believing Christians. And so that judgment is all about the way Christians treat other Christians and about the way people in the world treat believers in Christ. And it sounds at first reading like it's a judgment based on works. In other words, you do the right thing, you're saved, and if you don't do the right thing, you're not. Ah, but not when you think more closely about it. Because the issue in the judgment, oh, by the way, there is another terrible error made. And three times last weekend, I heard people make this error, and I had to say something publicly about it. They, they read the verse in a funny way with a vested interest, and you often hear people um, not most people, fortunately, but you will often enough hear people talk, talk about sheep nations and goat nations. I even heard someone talk about they wanted their city to be a sheep city. It's complete nonsense. Yes, it says he gathers all nations before him in that same Matthew 25. But all it means, bear, bear in mind the word nations used 2,000 years ago does not mean what the word nations means today. It means he would gather the people of all nations. He would gather the people, every tribe, tongue, every ethnic group. In other words, everybody on the entire planet who had ever lived gathered before him. And then it says specifically, and he would divide the people, one person from another, as a shepherd divides sheep from goats. It's the people who are sheep and goats, not nations, not cities. And I had to say last weekend that the Bible language, the Bible nowhere calls a nation a sheep or a goat nation. The Bible has a different language entirely for nations, kingdoms, cities, and, it, and it's, it's not that black and white one or the other. No, it's kind of like a sliding scale of how much light or darkness is in a city or a nation. Like the Old Testament prophecy says, the people that dwelled in darkness have seen a great light. And the New Testament says of the New Jerusalem, which is the church, you have no need of the light of the sun and the moon, for, for God himself and the Lamb are your light. That's, that's very much the language of the Bible. So if you, you want to pray for Rockhampton, you want it filled more with the light of Christ. Anyway, uh, back to our subject here. At first reading, this judgment, you know, sheep and goats judgment, based on how you've treated people, Sounds like a judgment based on works, saved or not saved, based on what you did. But the, if you scratch the surface a bit and look more deeply, what you realize is this. If the measure 
is what your attitude is and the degree to which you are prepared to inconvenience yourself for the sake of Christians, it reveals an attitude of heart because if you love the Lord, you love his people. And the Lord is very clear about this in the scriptures. No one who says he loves God is speaking the truth if they do not love their brother. So it's really another way of assessing whether Christ is in you. What is your attitude? To, in other words, what is the attitude of people in the world to Christians actually reveals their attitude to Christ. They hate Christians because they hate Christ. They love Christians because they love Christ. John the Apostle said, if you love the father, you love the child that is born of him. So when it comes down to it, that's still a judgment based on where your heart is at relative to Christ and it's faith and surrender to God or the lack of it that's put that there. In other words, it's cause and effect. Faith and being born again and being transformed by the Spirit and having your heart turned around so that what you used to hate you now love and what you used to love you now hate. That's an immediate outcome of being born again and the Holy Spirit who's given to you forever is within you. That's the cause, but the effect is how you then live, how you live your life, how you treat other people, how you spend your time. So um, it's, it's that sheep and goat's judgment is just as much a description of a judgment based on faith as it is any other thing, of surrender to Christ as any other matter. Here's, um, ha- nevertheless, People read differently, different passages in the Bible differently, and you read some that put great emphasis on it. It's faith alone, it's not works. And there's another famous passage, quite lengthy, that says faith without works is dead, and if you've only got faith but no works, you know, that won't save you. And people get confused because they're equating the use of the word works in these passages as meaning the same thing, and it's not. So it's very simple in the end to get straight if you can understand we're we're using the word works but about two entirely different things. You've got to know to distinguish the difference between what the Bible calls dead works and what the Bible calls good works and it's not the same thing. You have to flee from dead works but you must embrace good works. What's the difference? Well, hopefully, with a little help here from the Scriptures, we'll figure it out. Um, So here's Paul. Here's one of the typical passages that says, faith alone without works. But remember, it's, it's without the dead works. Now, mostly in the New Testament, where this kind of works is being referred to, it's not just called works. It's called the works of the law. That The complete phrase is an important one. It's not that works are not an important part of the Christian life at all. It's that the works of the law won't save you. Works of the law. Remember a a definitional phrase, and you'll see it here used in this scripture. This is Romans 3, 21. He says, "But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Ah, pause there. What does that mean? Everything that was written in the law was actually good. How to worship God, how to bring your offerings, how to treat your fellow man, 
how to keep all the ceremonial aspects of the worship of the temple, all the regular sacrifices, all the things. In fact, there were some 640 laws in the law of Moses. It was very demanding. And yet the sum total of that was describing how to live properly in a way that pleased God. And so the law uh, was a description of what righteousness was, but the trouble was the way the law works. The law commanded you to do it, gave you no wriggle room, refused to help you, wouldn't lift a finger to help you. There's no power in the law. And then when you failed, as you always did, because you had no strength, no ability, you're full of sin, the law would condemn you to death. So it was, you know, it was not, um, not exactly the ideal husband, shall we say. And Christ, Christ delivered us from that so that by being through faith in Christ, you're brought into a, a different thing. You're brought into what's called grace. And instead of grace commanding you what to do and being a tyrant and refusing to help you, grace instead is this Holy Spirit within you forever, helping you to understand, leading you to do the right thing, teaching you how to live and actually giving you, if you want it, all the power and strength to be able to do it. But then if you mess up sometime, forgiveness, cleansing, help and strength, start again. We're going to get you there in the end kind of thing. It's a different deal, but the kind of righteousness being looked for is the same. You still won't steal. The law said you won't steal. You're a believing Christian, you're in Christ, you won't steal. The law says, do not commit adultery. You're in grace in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. You won't commit adultery. The law and grace are trying to get the same end. The the law was established so that we could see how bad and how weak our fallen nature was. So we could see the very nature of death at work in us. So that we would flee to Christ. The the law would, the purpose of the law is drive us to Christ. Oh, they find life and liberty and salvation and you're saved then, not by having kept the law perfectly, that nobody can do. Saved instead by, ah, oh, someone who did keep the law perfectly and then sacrificed his life to pay for your sin so that you could be enfolded into him and sins washed away, conscience made clean, made right in the sight of God. You're now in Christ and saved forever, but you're saved for a purpose. Don't fool yourself. Don't think for one minute that saving, being saved by grace means you can be a lazy beggar and get away with it. If you're lazy, if you, uh, let's, let's just say passive, sit around, think, think you don't have to lift a finger. You know, I can live any kind of indolent life now. You know, I just live for me, just live for my family. You know, oh, life's good now. Don't think you, you're going to get much out of it doing that. You might still be in faith and, and your sins have been forgiven, but, but that kind of attitude cannot bear fruit, not the kind of fruit where your good, good deeds go ahead of you to judgment day. Remember, there is such a thing as a better resurrection. So back to the scriptures. Um, here is... Oh, well, we never finished the one we were reading. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Where'd my scripture go? 
Uh, Romans 3, leave that there. We, that's, we covered that first verse. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's, that's what the law and the prophets are bearing witness to. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now there's a lot of this kind of talk in the Bible. There's redemption, a gift. Justified by grace. Wonderful. And then just a couple of verses later, verse 28, Paul further writes, For we hold that no that that one, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so there you see that phrase, works of the law, and you'll see it repeated again and again and again in Scripture. Now the same Christ who justifies you through the cross and his resurrection and receives you. Now remember, it's not your decision. I, I hear people say all the time, I, you know, I decided to follow Jesus and they think that's what saved them. It's not. It's when you have surrendered yourself to him because of who he is and what he's done and he decides to receive you. There's two sides to this transaction, but he will not receive anyone who does not surrender. So being born again requires giving in, giving in to God, giving in to Christ. It's not just accepting him. The far more important thing is the giving of yourself, your handing of yourself over. I'm now yours. And on that basis, he receives you and transforms you. So you're not in control of this thing at all. What is, see, if you remain in control, here's the interesting rub. If you try to remain in control, you're still living by the works of the law and it doesn't work. You're under the, the dead works. In, in dead works or in the works of the law, you're trying to be good enough for God and you're trying to look good in the eyes of other people. There's two errors there. Um, however, Jesus himself said, before he went to the cross, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. So I said before, don't confuse works of the law with good works. So here's, here's some more passages in which we see this works of the law. Galatians 2, 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Then Galatians 3.2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. And then when you come to Hebrews 6, 1, a slight change in terminology, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, it's called here. Dead works, works of the law, same thing. Works of the law was your living up to the standards of religious law so that you were good enough in your own eyes, good enough in God's eyes, it doesn't work. 
And a lot of those people ended up performing acts of righteousness in public so as to look good in the eyes of other people. And that's what Jesus specifically warned against. But notice this. Jesus picked out two examples in his day of things that people did in, the, in public so that others would think they were righteous. One was prayers. They would pray wonderful flowing prayers that other people in public on the streets, other people could hear them. So they were, Jesus said they were practicing their righteousness before men. Now, did this mean they shouldn't pray? No, see, prayer was required under the law. Prayer's required in grace. Jesus said, no, you, you pray in secret. Go into your room, shut the door, pray, 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 and your Father will see your prayer, hear your prayers, and reward you. You pray in secret, the Father will reward you openly. The other one was giving. In his day, there were people publicly, you know, giving gifts to the poor and, you know, trumpeting their own righteousness, how wonderful they were helping people out. Jesus said, don't do that. When you're helping the poor, keep that one secret. And the Lord will reward you. you notice Jesus didn't say, well, don't, don't give. That's a, that's a work of the law. No, no, you, you give. Christians, you, you give more. You know, Christians give more than people under the law ever gave. So either, either way you pray, either way you give, but one is a dead work and the other is a good work. One's the works of the law, the other are the works of faith. And the entire difference is motive, what's in the heart, who you're doing it for, and uh, whose, whose faith you're in, your own or the Lord's. Uh, you know, who you belong to. Do you belong to yourself? Do you belong to the Lord? It's really simple. So um, anyway, these are the errors to avoid. Now, good works, on the other hand, our lives are meant to be filled with good works. Once you're born again, it's, you're not born again to a lazy life because Jesus did it all. Let me, let me be honest. Once you're born again, you're born again to a more sacrificial life, a more giving yourself to other people life, a life of more hard work, of more discipline, of more responsibility than you ever had before. You're saved to do more work, not less work, but there's a difference. As a Christian, you're given power. God breathes on you. And so the things you're called to do are your joy. You, you take Hazel here as an example. We had four kids. And when I first began to hear the Lord talk about wanting to give us more kids, she was none too pleased. And I wasn't forcing it. It was a surprise to me. I was just hearing the Lord and being honest about it. But, uh, you know, and she wept about it. She didn't think this was a good idea at all. And we were 39 at the time. But over the months as she prayed and sought the Lord, she had a huge experience of God and he totally changed her heart. And I remember Hazel was transformed into someone who on that point just delighted to do the will of God. Delighted. You couldn't have seen a more magnificent change in somebody's feeling about it. It wasn't just a change of attitude. Well, I better have a good attitude here. It was total transformation of feeling and then empowered to do the job. You know, four more kids born through to the age of 46, still taking kids to school when we're 63. Imagine still having to go into parent-teacher interviews and you're 63 years old. You know, so, but that's what we did. And, and it was like it was easy. Do you know it was easier to raise the second four? Like life at home was easier. There was less work than with the first four. No, the, this is grace. Now, all I'm saying, I'm just trying to give you a practical example of how when you're full of the Spirit, 
when you're in the will of God, when you hear his voice, you can work harder, more privation, more sacrifice, but it's not like sacrifice. People sometimes say to me, oh, you know, you've, you've suffered so much. And I'm thinking, I don't think I've suffered at all. It, it's been a pleasure, you know, such a joy. And that's the difference being in the spirit as against in the flesh makes. So when we're talking good works, yes, we're talking more time given to it. You, you end up doing more things. You end up helping more people. You end up more time in prayer. But somehow there's a power that carries you along. And if you're not feeling the power, if you're not helped by the power, there's something wrong. You better come see me, get some prayers. We're going to see something changed here. Some, you know, the, the whole spirit of the thing has got to change because this is going to be the good works inspired by the Holy Spirit, not the dead works that come out of uh, just the law. Now, now, we used to sing a song in the Sallies that occasionally inspired uh, spirited disagreement in discussion over whether it was a truth or not. Would you like to know what that was? <laughs> and the song used the word duty. In fact, I've got the words here. And, and our, our songster brigades, you know, the choirs, they actually get up and sing this song. It was actually a really singable song. And um, the chorus used to say, by the pathway of duty flows the river of God's grace. So there was a big discussion point over the duty. Should there be, should there be such a concept for Christians as duty? You know, it sounds a bit like the law, doesn't it? Like obligation, legalism. And uh, so this discussion would ensue, you know, do Christians really have have to have a sense of duty or, or is it just, you know, live out of love? Well, I read you the song. Here it is. Here's, here's the opening verse. There's a path that's sometimes thorny. There's a narrow way and straight. It's called the path of duty and it leads to heaven's gate. While we tread this path of duty, we will find our needs supplied from the river of God's mercy that is flowing close beside then you get to the chorus. By the pathway of duty flows the river of God's grace. Then you come to the second verse. Tis a blessed way and holy. Tis a path of peace and joy, though sometimes the way be stony and the cares of life annoy. But this path that we call duty is the way the master trod. Think about that for a minute. Did Jesus do what he did because he was responsible to the Father? He said what he did was in obedience to the Father. Obedience. And he said, you're my friends if you obey my commands. Anyway, we finished the, the verse. But this path that we call duty is the way the master trod and the smile of love and beauty lights the way that leads to God. Third verse. Let us walk this path of duty with our faces to the sun. Carry all our burdens gladly. Uh, that's a line that says we, we choose to carry our burdens happily. Happily carry our burdens. Finish well what we've begun. From the river of God's mercy that is flowing by the way, we may drink and find refreshing from <clears throat> the burdens of the day. So you can debate now over dinner um, what you think about the word duty. But what if we used a different word? Uh, and by the way, yes, the word duty is in the Bible. Not often, but it's there. 
and it was Jesus who used it. So it's a bit hard to squeeze it out entirely, right? Uh, Would you like to hear what Jesus said? He said, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So I guess we can allow the use of the word, but if we used other words, we'd probably be happier. What if we thought about the word responsibility? Do Christian believers have a responsibility to God? Yes, we do. Do we have a responsibility to the truth, the things that we believe and are in the Bible? Yes, we do. Do we have a responsibility toward our brothers and sisters and toward our leaders over us? Yes, we do. If we have responsibility, then we have a duty, a duty of care. And Paul touched on it here. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So there is a call to serve. There's a call to work. There's a call to good deeds. There's a call to sacrifice. And, and, and then if we use another word, what if we use the word discipline? No, we would all agree. Discipline, very important part of the Christian life. Even when we don't feel like it, we should pray. Even when we don't feel like it, we should read our Bible. Even when we don't feel like helping that poor homeless family, we're going to help them. Uh, here's one duty that Jesus mentioned more than once. It, it was watch and pray. Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. No, it's a responsibility. But, it, but it's one that makes life better for you as well as everybody else. And, and, um, and, and here's another place where the word duty comes up in Acts chapter 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What was the duty? The church had widows that weren't being cared for. It was a responsibility of the whole church. It was a responsibility the apostles had to shoulder. Can we find good, seven good men to take care of this responsibility that we all share? And thus we set up a whole feeding program for, for these poor widows. Peter said, but we will devote, meaning those, the apostles, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If we can find men to take this duty, we'll keep attending to that duty. Here's an interesting one too. God appoints us to our duties without asking our opinion of whether we like the life he's chosen for us. Think about King David. You know, happy kid, got his, uh, his lyre or whatever out with the woolies, you know, and he's, it's a nice life, camping out under the stars. Some people love that more than anything. And uh, he gets called in. He doesn't know what it's all about. Samuel hears the Lord say, he's the one, rise and anoint him. Next minute, oil poured all over him. David was never asked if he wanted to be king. He never asked if he, if he wanted to actually lead Israel into battle. You, you got the job. You know, you are, oil all over you. What about Paul on the road to Damascus? He wasn't asked. Jesus explained nothing. First of all, he says to him, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Uh, you know, Paul wasn't even sure. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, go into the city and it will be told you what you're going to do. <laughs> no choice here, friends. What about Jeremiah? This is a really interesting one. Go and, read, go and read for yourself Jeremiah chapter one. The Lord says to him, right, this day I've appointed you, you know, over nations. You'll tear up, you'll, up, you'll uproot, you'll tear down, you'll build up, you'll destroy Lord, he says, I'm only a child, I'm only a youth. Do not say you're only a youth. You know, I will put my word. 
No choice. And friends, if you're willing to accept it, complete surrender to Jesus, he will lift you up and take you a whole lot further than you ever thought you could go. It's as simple as that. There are a lot of people hold back on Jesus and he still loves them. He still forgives their sins. But um, let me tell you, uh, that river of grace, it's not really true, I think, to say there's a path of duty here and there's a river of grace there. The two are so much one, it's indivisible. It carries you along when you choose the right direction. No, there is such a thing. And, um, you know, Jesus spoke of it in words like, uh, take up your cross and follow me. So I just wanted to make the point, that was all today, that um, good works, you know, as a people, there are things we have to do. You know, when Jesus said to me, take an apostolic message to the nations, I was already traveling to nations and preaching, but it, it cemented in place my understanding that that really was my calling, it was my duty, and the result has been 40 years of constant travel, absences, and yet, um, you know, it's been a pleasure and I'm, I guarantee I'm healthier than most people my age. It doesn't matter whether I look healthy or not. I can still leap upstairs, you know. I can still pedal a bike all day if I have to. And um, so, you know, benefits come with it, shall we say. Um, the, what I want you to understand if, in, in kind of closing this out is that there is a, don't confuse the word works don't assume the word works is either all bad or all good. There's a big dif difference between works of the law, which are dead works. Why are they dead works? It's because when, when people are attending to works of the law, they're, they're keeping laws for a religious purpose to make themselves good enough in God's eyes so that he will accept them. That's what's been canned. You can be accepted by God, you can be declared righteous, you can be forgiven, not by trying to be good enough. It's when you say, I'm not good enough, I'm a sinner. And you, you give up trying to make yourself good enough. So when you meet people out in the public and you tell them they need, you, you know, Christ died for their sins, they'll often say, I don't have any sins. Ignorant, ignorant of sin. The, the person who really comes into Christ becomes conscious of sin and you come to the place of saying, I cannot save myself no matter what I do. And you give up trying to save yourself. But then having been saved, your heart having been washed, having been positioned in Christ, you are now renewed from the inside out. And I'll tell you what goes on. Once this happens, faith is present it produces work. Love is present. It produces work. You have a changed life that is surrendered to Christ. It produces work. And you have the Holy Spirit on the inside, which produces work. In other words, it produces outcomes. You bear fruit. And from when I was uh, 
first in Cara. This is the early, my earliest memory is the first year I was in Cara, which was 19, uh, 1979. I can remember, maybe I prayed it before, but from that year to this, I have regularly prayed and asked the Lord, make me fruitful. I was very mindful of Jesus' words where he says after we get saved, some produce fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. I didn't think highly enough of myself to pray to be 100-fold, but I sure wanted the Lord to move me from the 30 to the 60. Make me fruitful. But it means time. You devote time. You serve people. You give yourself willingly. Why do you think we take so many people into our home? and have done over a long time? Why do you think we travel so much, go so many places? Why do, you think we, why do you think we start the school, for example, 30 years ago? You don't just do everything willy-nilly, you pray, and when there's an opening, you test it, Lord, is this you? Or some things there's just a burden because there's such a need, and you have the Spirit of God, and you do something about it. It's a bit like the one of the stories of the early Salvation Army was that William Booth came home late one night and noticed under the bridge in London, men were sleeping. And, he, and the next morning, you know, his son Bramwell goes to see him and he's disturbed and, you know, uh, pacing his room. And he says, Bramwell, yeah, did you know men were sleeping under the bridge? Oh, yes, of course, Bramwell says, you know, I mean, this happens all the time. What? He says, you know, no, do something, you know, <laughs> but don't, no coddling, he says. In other words, no no, no being too nice to these guys. You know, but do something. You know, they rented halls, they heated them, they got the soup on. A lot of the Salvation Army work came out of, you know, one of the daughters, they had eight children, um, Catherine William Booth, but it was coming home one Christmas Eve and seeing the plight of the poor that that family, not mum, not dad, nor any of those eight kids ever spent a Christmas day for themselves again. They, they served the poor every hour of the day, every Christmas for years and years to follow. They lived for others. But the result was William Booth, one evangelist, he became, he became 10,000 evangelists across 80 nations in just 25 years, brought millions and millions to Christ. They said <clears throat> what happened was when he was 14 years old, he knelt and his prayer was, that he gave all there was of William Booth to Christ. But his daughter, um, and I think it was his granddaughter, when she was elderly, she said, his secret was not that he gave all there was of William Booth to Christ. It was that he never took it back. Anyway, I'm just wanting to make the point, Christians work, Christians serve, Christians love. Christians give, and you do it because your heart has been changed and your life becomes productive. It's not dead works. It's not works of the law. You're not trying to earn righteousness. It's been given to you. But because you have become righteous, you've been, you've been made to be righteous. Oh, there are different outcomes, and it's called good works. And the Bible says these good works were prepared from the foundation of the world for you to do. So that's it for me today. And um, thank you for listening. We're going to make it a little matter of prayer. Uh, and um, close in just a moment. But 
How about the band come and they will lead us in a closing song. But, and as they, once they're here, we're all going to pray together and ask the Lord, things like this require understanding that only the Spirit of God can give because otherwise Christians get confused because of the overlapping vocabulary. Dead works or good works, works of the law or the works of faith. Remember, it's often the same thing. Someone can preach the gospel on the street, but be do, doing it because they're practicing self-righteousness. Someone else can be doing it because they've been so taken hold of by the love of Christ, they're out there concerned for other people, doing it for Jesus. One is two people preaching the same gospel. One's in dead works, one's in good works. It, it has a great deal to do with the heart, whether you know the Lord, you're walking with Christ. Anyway, good one to get straight, but the other thing is, please remember, you're meant to be fruitful. If you think you're not, pray to be more fruitful. You're meant to be willing to make sacrifices. If you're not willing, pray to be made willing. Because Psalm 110 says, his troops will be willing in the day of his battle. And this happens to be the day of his battle. This is the day in which the word of God goes out to all nations, conquering and to conquer. That's what the Bible says. Word of God sent out, conquering and to conquer. That's why we pray. By the way, one of your good works, if you're in Christ, is get into a prayer meeting and start praying to break the social cultural bondage in this city. See? By faith. We we live by faith. Sacrificial lives by faith. Hmm. Right. Shall we pray together? It's just a moment of quietness and you can bring your heart to Jesus. We used to sing a song, a little chorus. We used to sing lots of prayer choruses in the Salvation Army. One of them was singing to Christ, I bring to thee my heart to fill. I know how weak I am, but still to thee for help I call. And there was a bit more. Anyway, in the spirit of that, just bring your heart to Jesus right now. Father, I thank you that you are our help. You are our strength. And I ask that even now the Lord Jesus would come, put your arm around every, every shoulder here. Place your hand upon every heart. Grant more of the Holy Spirit to every one of these believers. More understanding may go deep to the heart. And Lord, we bring our hearts to you today to fill, to fill with the good things of Christ, to fill with the knowledge of the Lord, to fill with the sense of our calling and our purpose. And I cry, Lord, is that you'd make us very fruitful. I pray, Lord, that you'd make every person, every man, every woman, every child here fruitful. Make every family, every family home fruitful for Christ. Make this church as a people fruitful. Our teams as they go out, Lord, make them fruitful. Make our prayer meetings fruitful. Make the school, Kingsley College, make it fruitful. Make all that we put our hand to, Lord, Breathe on it, I pray. Thank you for the river of grace. The power that flows through our lives comes from our innermost beings and it is the same Holy Spirit that you've given to us forever. We praise God. Now the Spirit of the Lord rest upon you. Grace and peace and mercy upon you, upon your home, upon your marriage, upon your children, upon this city. Grace to this city. 
Lord, make Rockhampton as the new Jerusalem. That is a city of righteousness, a city of peace. We bless the city today. And Lord, we, we welcome your presence in our lives today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.